Olivia Newton-John star of Greece and multi-platinum singing, selling singer uh, he's died age 73 that was my favourite Olivia Newton-John song um, Magic Flowers have been laid on Olivia Newton-John's star at the Hollywood Walk of Fame Actor and singer Newton John achieved commercial success as a country singer, sold millions of records. John Travolta wrote, My dearest Olivia, you made all our lives so much better. The actor wrote on Instagram, Your impact was incredible. I love you so much. Has another of hers. Someone who met Olivia Newton-John, albeit briefly, is Chris. Chris is uh, on the line. Kia ora, Chris. Kia ora, Wallace. How are you today? Well, I'm very, very well. A little bit sad, to be honest, uh, that uh, Olivia Newton-John has uh, died because I was actually a very, very big fan uh, of her music. You know, Xanadu and Grease, I saw that a couple of times, bought the double album. Um, But I believe that you met her, albeit very briefly. Yes, I did. Um, about uh, 2012, I was down in Wellington in the Symphony Orchestra um, in their practice rooms um, with a, as a sound man. And uh, I was working in there, and they were preparing for the national tour with the Symphony Orchestra, Cliff Richards and uh, Olivia were. Um, and so I was just walking along, having prepared some stuff in another room, down the, uh, the, the side of the room, and came to walk out into another area and as I went to open the door she walked through it and uh, said hello directly to me and I just sunk through my boots I just was washed away I I don't even know what I said as a response but um, hopefully my intuition carried me through but uh, it was a very big impact on me at the time Really? Is that what they call starstruck? (laughs) I think that's pretty close to it exactly Because she was a star huh? Mm -hmm. But as well as that, she was so approachable, so mm. friendly, as opposed to Cliff, who was so focused on his work that he didn't pay attention to the people he wasn't involved in. Really? Cliff Richard didn't give you the time of day? Yeah, exactly. Ah. But Olivia Newton-Johns was just like the girl next door, and uh, nice and friendly, and completely different. I only just found out, uh, listening to the preview to the show, um, that that had happened, that she'd passed away, and I'm sad to hear that. Kia ora, Chris. Thanks for being with us uh, there. Around the panel on Olivia Newton-John. Bobsy, ever seen her live, had records? 
Um, my daughters are big fans, Lynn and Ruby, of the record. We've been listening to it, the LP, actually, since they were young. And just yesterday, they asked, can we watch Grease? And it was so bizarre to wake up this morning and see that news <gasps> because it was totally out of the blue. Oh, wow. Um, so she had that energy, I think, as an yeah. entertainer and even watching her films that the next generation, <clears throat> people born after 2000, really love her as a person. And I think we also can't forget just going to Melbourne, I learned how much work she had done for cancer. Absolutely. And so that's a big part of her work as well is what she's done for cancer research. And I think um, it's good that we're all learning a lot more today and I'm, I'll miss her because she did a lot of good and we'll blast her LP later today. I'm sure. Connor, you'd you'd have to have had Grease, the double album in your collection. Uh, Yeah. Look, I watched the movie and, and I did enjoy the music on it. And, uh, her and John Travolta uh, could certainly dance a lot better than I could uh, yeah. on a on a dance floor. So no, no, she was a great, uh, great, uh, great singer, great Aussie, uh, really. And and as um, uh, Booby saying, uh, also a great person in the cancer field to to promote yeah. and and try and get things progressed there. So no, she's a sad loss. Uh, it's 22 to 4. Just some feedback because, um, goodness gracious me, uh, a lot of a lot of you want your uh, thoughts and opinions on Sam Offendown. Uh, Vic Nicky says everyone should be given a chance from stupid things they do when young. If a person did a non-convictable act and was remorseful, uh, let them move on. However, to apologise before putting one's hand up to be a public figure, one could question the sincerity. Yes, whose life anyone at 15 years old is perfect? How many boys at secondary school were not bullies is this person's opinion? It has never been okay. However, in the day, this was thought to be okay. Thank goodness things have changed. Sarah says, before you seek listeners' views, it might be sobering to reflect a couple of things. He was 16 at the time. Are we saying that none of our other 119 MPs have skeletons in their adolescent closets? For the record, I say he should stay. And Helen says, I'm a Tauranga resident and believe that Sam Uffendale and the party have been dishonest in not revealing his past behaviour. The action that saw him expelled from Kings was no doubt the last straw. And 22 years before an apology defies belief in his sincerity. It's another experience of the arrogance and entitlements. He's demonstrated his inappropriateness for the role of an MP, says Helen in Tauranga. Lovely to have you company today. In completely different news, foot and mouth disease was first detected in meat products imported into Australia in July. And our agriculture sector has been on high alert as the government has warned it could soon travel here. There's been plenty of talk about how an outbreak could impact agriculture, but now some are saying the effects could hurt tourism. Lecturer in tourism at University of Otago, Dr Stuart Hayes, has penned an article for the conversation, arguing that overseas instances have proven the negative effects a sizable outbreak could have. And Dr Hayes is with us now. Kia ora. Good to have you on. Kia Wallace. Thanks for having me. And uh, hi to the other uh, panellists. Yeah, so why do you think it's important that we don't forget tourism when we plan for an outbreak like this? So just bearing in mind, it hasn't happened. It's not on our shores, but in terms of planning. Sure. So when I first started reading and I guess hearing about foot and mouth disease in Indonesia and concerns on the part of the New Zealand government about an outbreak here, I guess my inclination um, as a tourism researcher, but also someone who experienced 
foot and mouth outbreak in the UK in 2001, I immediately began sort of looking into various tourism strategies, both at the national and regional level, but also strategies and reports drawn up by MPI in relation to foot and mouth. And I guess I was quite surprised to find that there appeared to be nothing, a real lack of information connecting a possible foot and mouth outbreak here in New Zealand to potential impacts for our tourism sector. Um, now, given the last few years of COVID and the damage that's been done to the sector, especially to small and medium-sized businesses that, as you'll know and your listeners will know, make up the bulk of the sector, I think we're duty-bound now more than ever to ensure that um, reasonable steps are taken to be as prepared as we possibly can be for something like a foot-and-mouth outbreak, which, as unexpected as it might be, could arrive at some point. Um, and in the case of foot and mouth, I think we can draw on the experiences of previous outbreaks to show us not only what can go wrong and why, but also what we might be able to do now to be better prepared for the future. Okay, so um, 2001, yep. Britain. I can recall seeing the image. In fact, I don't know why, but it's still very much in my mind of these burning pyres of cows. They're quite extraordinary images. Um, did those images have much of an impact on the tourism sector there? They had a huge impact. Um, and what we have to bear in mind is, much like here in New Zealand, a lot of the tourism that happens in the UK does so in rural areas in the countryside. And so effectively, or the message that was being communicated in the media was that vast swathes of the countryside were off limits and essentially the UK was closed. That was the message that was being put out there. And of course, when that was accompanied, as you say, by these horrendous images of burning pyres of animal carcasses, and they were very accurate images as well, then it's kind of not surprising that a lot of people were, were put off visiting. And during that time, it was something in the region of about 10% of um, visitors. Uh, there was a drop Goodness. of 10% in visitors. 10%. To, um, um, yeah. We have a panel with us, uh, and I know that Connor was the former um, head of Federated Farmers. Connor, you'd have views on this. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, well, I think the good thing is that we, our government definitely recognises the crucial uh, role of biosecurity, and, right. and all governments in New Zealand have. And, and the main reason for that is that if we get something like a foot and mouth disease for the for our export sector, anyway, our agriculture sector, which is, you know, we produce about 52 or so billion dollars a year of income, um, you know, gets restrict, restrictions in the markets that we go into. Um, and, and my experience when I see our federated farmers there for six years was the government was excellent at having plans in place and it did simulations and it had uh, a very coordinated um, apparatus, if you like, or institutional apparatus in place for such a thing as a foot and mouth um, outbreak. But Stu's right, it would also impact on on the tourism uh, sector as well. Um, and, uh, you know, I'd be surprised if the tourism sector isn't linked in to what the government's doing, because they do take it really seriously, and they've taken it very seriously with the Embovis outbreak, which is another biosecurity thing, uh, which, you know, millions of dollars have been put into and a lot of okay. uh, effort and coordination has been done. Stay there, Stu. Stay. Let's bring, let's bring a Boopsy Moran in as well. Boopsy? Yeah, Dr. Hayes and Connor, my question, I guess, is what... I'm just an urban dweller living <laughs> in the city, and so my question to agriculture experts is how serious should I be taking this? And, like, is it... 
do we need to ask for more money from our government? Are they giving enough to biosecurity to fight foot and mouth? Or what can I do individually living in a city to care about this? Or what do I need to know specifically? Hmm. Anyone? Well, uh, or Stu first. Uh, I'd probably I'd probably sign that over to Connor. Actually, I think he's probably got much more expertise in in the area of biosecurity. <clears throat> well, All right. Well, well, well I think from, from a, Connor, from a yeah, from a practical perspective, what you can do is is declare uh, it, when you come across the border if you've been in a country that's had foot and mouth or you've been somewhere uh, on on a farm that's often what they ask you on the on the cards there. And if you you know be be truthful about that, that's the most practical okay. thing you can do. Uh, in Good terms advice. of the government. The government are good. The government are good. The government support support uh, how the importance of biosecurity. So taking doing it a very good job. taking it very very seriously, yeah, Stu. Because as a final thought, uh, again reiterating that, uh, uh, you know, it's 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 of course not here, but we don't want it to be here. Sure, no, look, uh, and this isn't me categorically saying that, that no work has been done in this space. All I'm suggesting really is that if work has been done, let's make that much more publicly available so that we can debate this robustly. Um, And just picking up on one of Connor's points there, I think we just need to, as has been done in the agriculture sector, model the potential impacts of foot and mouth for the tourism sector, including what that might look like in terms of potential job losses, loss of tourism trade, Mm. potential impacts on sort of destination image and reputation like that. All right. Very good. Dr. Stu Hayes there uh, with us on that uh, very uh, important topic there. It's 14 to 5. Uh, just your responses regarding Sam keep coming, so we'll park that there. Um, but uh, thank you. So what I would like to hear from you, though, is this. We've had a few uh, emails and texts about bullying and the topic of bullying at school. I'd like to hear from you, your experiences. Maybe we can raise that on the panel another stage this week or next. Uh, were you bullied at school? How so? And what effect did it have on you? You can text me, 2101, or in longer form, you can email me, the panel at rnz.co. Dot NZ. Uh, someone says, previously I have only voted national, I'm a national voter, but their recent history of selecting candidates uh, doesn't represent me. Bullying was not okay when I was at the school 50 years ago. It's not about second chance redemption. Our politicians should really be above pro- approach. If he's not fired, he does, the party does lose my vote. Now, the cost of travelling with a wheelchair. I saw this on Twitter and I just had to bring it to the panel. In today's episode of Being Disabled is Expensive, a 20-minute taxi ride in a wheelchair hoist van came at at $134.20. It's a rort. I'm furious. You should be too. Taxpayers are picking up the tab for 60 bucks of that fare. No words, said a wheelchair user. And I thought, $134.00? For a taxi ride? How's that possible? How would you go for a coffee, an evening out, an interview? With us is New Zealand Paralympian Barney Konefernisi, who's been advocating for more accessible rides for some time and, in fact, has been attempting to fundraise a transport service to help rectify this very issue. Uh, Barney, kia ora. Kia ora, Wallace. <laughs> How's it going? Good to, <laughs> you again. Good to have you on again. Barney, $134. <laughs> Can you relate to this issue? Yeah, it's 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 daily daily routine that um uh, or daily struggle that people with disabilities go through, as uh, when we are ordering taxis, especially hoisted vans, uh, we do 
find that most of these taxi drivers, uh, they know that uh, the individual with a disability does have a concession card, so we call that a total mobility. And uh, they sometimes, uh, so when, when a van rocks up to your house, they take their time strapping you into the van because uh, by law, the, the van cannot leave your, your house if the chair's not strapped in. So when they're, when they're strapping you in the meter, what you don't know is the meter's already running. So by the time uh, the, the taxi leaves your driveway and exits your street, the meter's already at $20. And then when the, the um, when when they take their when they try to drop you off to your destination, they know their route to the back of their head. Uh, they know which way to go. They know which routes have roadworks. They know which routes have uh, crossings, have uh, have longer lights, and they take those routes so they can raise the meter, knowing that that individual does have their concession card. And they're like, oh, this guy, this guy, uh, this guy gets good money from the government. He um, this 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 won't be uh, much to them. So, like you said, a, a normal normal trip to a cafe that should cost a normal individual $25 will cost us 100 to maybe $120. And that's Goodness what, not me. even during peak hours. $134.20 for a 20-minute taxi ride. Let's go around the panel on this, come back to you, Barney. Boopsie. Well, I wonder, if do the rideshare apps actually pick up people with wheelchairs? Do you find that they're using that access area? Because... Um, Technically, it's supposed to be the same price, but I'm not sure how that would work yeah, for someone yeah. with a wheelchair. Um, so with the rideshare, um, Uber, DD, and Ola do not um, do not have wheelchair-accessible vehicles. Um, the only companies that do do that are taxi companies because um, by law, um, Uber and all these other rideshare companies, are they're looked at as technology companies. So by law, they don't need to provide wheelchair-accessible vans, and the judge has ruled that in so many cases. Um, hence why most individuals that do have disabilities always go into taxis, and taxis, uh, their old-fashioned pricing mechanism is a meter. Uh, yeah, so I guess the access sorry. part doesn't cover, uh, sorry, the access part doesn't cover um, wheelchairs, but, so it looks deceiving because they are vetted by be accessible, but it's really for blind and elderly, not so much people yes. having wheelchairs. Yeah, yep, exactly. Mm. Oh, well, look, my magnificent mother-in-law... <clears throat> Um, is mostly in a mostly in a wheelchair these days when she's uh, moving around. Uh, so I can so, totally empathise with uh, people who are, um, you know, they need to be moving around if they haven't got someone to help them. Uh, mm. they, they, you know, they need a taxi. So if you're being charged three times as much, I can understand you being a bit annoyed <laughs> about it. Um, but the other thing with with wheelchairs is a thing you notice as well as um, getting in and out of cars is things like pavements and and bloody mm. cracks in the in the path, you know, in the pathways, there's a whole lot of getting in and out of buildings. And I think New Zealand's probably done a sort of a reasonable job with things like ramps and that sort of thing for people in wheelchairs. But it sounds like we're not quite there with um, with charging rates with taxis. Barney, there is a solution. You've been working on it. Explain it for us. Yeah, so I'm uh, so with the past what 10, 12 years that I've been discriminated against by taxis and had the same thing happen to me over and over again. Um, I decided to uh, put some heads together and we are trying to form our own ride share. So a duplication of the Uber and Ola model, but uh, offering wheelchair accessible vans and wheelchair friendly, service animal friendly um, vehicles. As we, um, from from this experience as well, we found from previous experiences that taxi drivers, besides the whole pricing thing, um, a lot of people with disabilities do get abused during the ride. 
Um, so when we do re- um, raise our voices saying, look, this is a quicker route, um, you're doing the wrong thing, blah, 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 we end up getting yelled at by these taxi drivers. And then I, I figured, because um, we did the research, we had so many people saying the same thing, and I was like, instead of us complaining to these big corporations, because they have millions upon millions to bury cases like this, we might as well start our own service. Very good, Barney. We've talked about it before. I hope you uh, fare well in that, and thank you for being on to uh, highlight this uh, quite extraordinary issue. Kia ora, Barney. That is a New Zealand Paralympian, Barney Konaferanisi, who's saying that uh, a $20, 20-minute taxi ride costing $134 is not uncommon at all. have to say this, though. Stephen, a Nelson taxi driver, says it is offensive to say that taxi drivers, blanket condemnation, deliberately go an expensive way appalling. Uh Lovely to have you coming today. Thank you for being with me. Seven to five. And I just wanted to end on this because it sparked a little bit of joy in me reading about this. They say that one man's trash is another man's treasure, another person's treasure. Certainly the mantra of Nelson musician Levity Beat, who specialises in transforming discarded objects he finds at the dump into functioning musical instruments. Using the remains of heaters, airbed pumps, tyre valves, soft drink bottles, you name it. He's won three APRO New Zealand Children's Song of the Year awards, the TUI for Children Musician of the Year in 2018. Levity Beat, welcome to the panel. Thanks, Wallace. How did you get into this? Um, I think it was probably my first vehicle I got was a a 1973 Bedford um, kind of factory-built camper, and everything broke on it, and I didn't have any money to fix it, so I had to learn how to fix it myself. And while I, I found that I really enjoyed fixing stuff, which was mostly pretty pretty fun, apart from the um, being late for gigs side of things, it was a bit stressful. But anyway, I think that led on to um, enjoying making things, was uh, enjoying fixing things. And here you are. Um, before... We ran out of time, Levity. Yeah. I know that you've got um, a, a couple of things at the ready. Can you put yourself on speakerphone and play something? I'll have a for, go, but for I'm not going to promise this is going to sound very great. So, no, no, all uh, good. Okay, speakerphone and all, but just a moment. Hang on. Here we go. Levity beat transforms discarded objects he finds at the dump into actual functioning musical instruments we wait with bated breath to okay, see I'm going to try and play a um, plastic bottle um, sort of xylophone called a fazankophone pressurised with car tyre valves here we go here we go That's amazing, Levity. That, is, that sounds like a real Connor. That sounds like a real instrument, huh? That is a real instrument, yeah. yeah. Um, Tune to C and sounds kind of pretty. And did it come across okay through that little speaker? It came across great, didn't, didn't it, Connor? Yeah, yeah, you should uh, upload it on Spotify. Oh, yeah, there's already plenty on Spotify. Oh, don't Levity you worry about that. Oh, I think Levity, <laughs> Levity would be a nice addition to a high school marching band as a player myself. Of flute, I think you're as good oh. as any of those timpani drums, and yeah. you definitely yeah, yeah, yeah. want your instrument. <laughs> well, that's a wearable for Zunkerphone too. You can actually march along while you're playing it. So yeah, that would be perfect. And I feel like it'd be a secret weapon in one of those competitions. You'd win the whole nationals with that in a marching band comp. <laughs> it's, it's just amazing. You made this yourself. What? What is? 
did you say is that the foundation is an air pump? Oh, well, these are um, fizz bottles. I won't say what brand because I don't want to advertise anything. But, um, yeah, fizz bottles. Um, one particular brand works really good. You drill a hole in the lid. You put a car tire valve through the hole, screw it back on the bottle, and pump it up. And the, the higher the air pressure, then in the bottle, the higher the pitch of the note that you'll produce. Good grief. So you, yeah, you can tune it by letting air out to make it lower or putting more in to make it higher. Have you got an, another instrument at the ready for 10 seconds? Okay, this could be really awful, but I'm going to try my musical chair, which has got a harp, a sun piano, and a flute built into it. So, Go for it. Um, hang on, back on the speakerphone. Here we go. Oh, here's the heart. Yep. Oh, yeah. Underneath. I won't play the flute, it's a bit messy, but hang on. And all zero waste. Wow. Okay, that's enough. Levity, are you there? I'm there. I had a bad one come across. Yeah, terrible. Yeah, uh, yeah, that was terrible. <laughs> that one didn't like. Didn't it like was that beautiful. one. Beautiful. Do you think so, yeah. Bootsy? You want to be in the room with yes. that one? It's kind of uh, uh, yeah. It's, you got I like that. It's on. a chair. I love yeah, that I it's a chair. It a, <laughs> found it in a dumpster. It was all broken, and I welded it back together. It's a little kid's chair, like you know those little ones you used to sit on in school with the wooden seats, and yeah. Imagine living with you, Levity. There'll be there'll be no, there'll be noise and mayhem all night long, wouldn't there? Um, yeah, I do kind of like sleeping, actually, Wallace, but um, I've got an eight-year-old who's pretty noisy, um, so yeah, I've, we're kind of supported in, in that way. Good on you, Levity. Well done. Thanks. A bit, little, little bit of, little bit of uh, Tuesday afternoon joy with uh, Levity Beat there. And Connor English, Bupsy Moran, kia ora to you both. Thank you so much for being with me on the panel. Sam Hollis, uh, my producer, thank you. Lisa Owen and Cheek Boy next. I'm back with you, 3.45pm sharp. Till then...